We are going to be reading the books of Ezra uh, and Nehemiah in a, over the next, or we're going to be studying Ezra and Nehemiah over the next uh, four weeks. We're going to be reading in our daily devotionals the book of Ezra. And if you have uh, been reading our, uh, our daily devotionals during the 40 days and you go, where is the reading now? Just go to the Portico website. You'll see daily devotionals. Go on the app. You'll see daily devotionals. It's the same place. It's just not labeled under 40 now. And we're going to be reading the book of Ezra. And what we're going to see is that Ezra and Nehemiah, what they, what they detail is the story of a passionate desire to rebuild and to restore the people of God in the way that they were originally intended to live and to worship. And these, these individuals are people that had seen Israel in its glory days. They had, it had a strong wall and a beautiful temple and full of, full of power. And they, they were looking to recreate this, partially to restore Israel, but, but really to restore their proper alignment to God. And what the study over the next four weeks is going to be is, how does God renew our lives? And what are the priorities that God has for us? And when we bring those back to the center in the way they were originally designed to be, we can live a renewed life. And our renewed lives are designed to be lives that are centered on God alone, on worship of Him alone. And if we want to live in a new way, in a renewed life, it's actually a journey of going back. Looking for something new is found going backwards. And so we asked you on social media this week uh, to get your minds into the, uh, the practice of maybe there's something good in looking backwards. We said, what's something that you miss from your childhood? And we had all kinds of answers, and I pulled out a few of my favorites. This one really resonated with me because I grew up in the 80s. Uh, how many of you watched the Flintstones at lunch? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, good. You're good Gen Xers or millennial, late older millennials there. How many of you have no idea what the Flintstones are? You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank you. You guys, that's Gen Z and people that maybe didn't grow up here. Good. Okay. So that resonates for some of us and not necessarily for all of us. This one, if you're over the age of uh, living under your parents' uh, house, uh, this is uh, one of the wonderful things about um, your childhood is not paying your bills. And I was inspired this week that I actually sent all of my bills to my dad and I'm going to see if he pays them because I was like, yeah. This is a great idea. The church came up with a good idea, Dad. Uh, no, I didn't actually do that. <laughs> but the one that came through over and over um, that people said was being carefree, uh, simple life. Somebody said innocence. Somebody said no stress. But there's, there's something that resonated amongst all of you that were answering on social media that's saying, I miss something about not having to worry about caring for myself, making decisions for myself. I, I just wish I could go back to that, to that place. Our study over the next four weeks is going to be about going back to that place. But as we, get, as we jump into the series, I had this reflection question for you. What would it look like for you to have a renewed life? If you were going to say, my life is renewed, is there something that would have to be in your life right now that isn't in your life? Is there something that is presently in your life that you got to get out? That you're like, oh, if I was living a renewed life in the way that it was when I was watching the Flintstones and not paying bills, this, this would be out of my life. Just think on that for a minute. What would it look like for you to walk in a way that you would say, this is new. I have been renewed. 
The call to follow Jesus is actually the call to a renewed life. It's not to be a Christian. It is not to attend church. It is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus that experiences new life now and eternal life forever. That is the call of Jesus. Follow in my way. They were called originally followers of the way. Christians is a, is a, is a term that came on later. Christianity is not even a term that's in the Bible. Followers, disciples of Jesus' teaching means we would live renewed lives today and the promise forever. I believe we can have renewed lives if we would learn these principles. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to study Ezra because it is a study of going back to the principles that God had intended for his people. So let's jump right in. Ezra chapter 1. Uh, our key text is Ezra 1, 1 to 4. I have three thoughts for you to reflect on, and then Duane is going to lead us in a really powerful uh, reflective moment at the end where we're going to examine our own hearts. So let's, let's get rocking right in. God desires to renew his people. As you heard in the video this morning, in all three movements of this story in Ezra and Nehemiah, the starting place of a renewed life looks like God moving on the hearts of the king of Persia, the king of Babylon. It's not even a religious person that starts renewal in their midst. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of of Ezra chapter 1. We'll put them on the screen. These are also in your app if you're looking for these later. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, so that's giving us time frame, The Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given to Jeremiah. Hang on to that. It was a prophecy from years before. Uh, He stirred the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to put a proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. This is what the king of Persia says. So he's attributing. But then he goes, the Lord God of heaven has given me all of the kingdoms of earth. And he's appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Cyrus is saying, this is, this is what I'm to do, and I'm to do it for God. So an, an easy lesson would be, well, God can use anyone to restore his people, which is true, uh, but it's not actually the story that we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. As we study this month, what we're going to see, it is the passion of individual people of God that stir to prayer, that stir to fasting, that actually begin to move the hearts of even the leaders of the nation to bring God's renewal into their lives. If you, if you know the history of, of the Bible, the book of Daniel, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in the lion's den. Those stories may be familiar. This is going on at the exact same time. Daniel was one of the exiles that was brought to Babylon. Look what's happening in Daniel chapter 9 under the king. Let's put it on the screen for you. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to the prophet Jeremiah. Same language we see in Ezra. They were both stirred by reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah that, Jeremiah, that Jerusalem must lay desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. As Daniel starts to read God's word, he begins, he begins to pray. And he says, Lord, your people need to be renewed. We can't live this way forever, forever, forever. (laughs) Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, 8 and 9, the beginning of Nehemiah. We see the same thing. Nehemiah says, if you return to me and you obey my commands and live by them, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah begins to pray and we see the king bring this proclamation In Ezra 1 and 5, it says, God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes. 
So priests and Levites are the leaders of the worship, the leaders of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin. These are the family heads to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of the Lord. Listen, 100%, God can use any means and any person necessary to stir the hearts of the people. What's actually happening in this story is that in a season where they were away from God, in a season where their worship had not been centered where it was supposed to be, God began to stir in the hearts of Nehemiah and Daniel and Ezra and Zerubbabel. And they said, we can't live this way anymore. God began to stir in their hearts and in their spirits. And instead of going, hey, we're going to recreate this. We're going to rise up against Persia. They didn't say that. They began to pray. They began to fast. They began to listen to the, they began to connect with, with God. And in our language, in our time, we would say, connect with the voice and the presence of God's spirit in us. And they started to recognize that their hopes and their dreams and a renewed life was not going to come from anything that Persia could give them and really not even anything that they could build themselves. The answer to a renewed life was to recenter themselves on God and his word and the prophecies that they read in Jeremiah and the promises that he had for them. The stuff of our world sometimes leaves us in a pretty similar spot. We would have hope that, Lord, I will be satisfied when I get this job. I will be satisfied when I earn this much. Lord, I'll be satisfied when I get citizenship, when I get this house, when I have this relationship. And you know what? Even social psychologists will say, if you are waiting for a thing before you are happy, you will never be happy. And the word of the Lord says the same thing. But when God starts to stir amongst his people, we begin to pray, we begin to fast, and we begin to genuinely seek for God's presence. And the leaders of the church start to leap fast and pray and call God's people to seek his presence. What we see in the story that even the leaders of the nation are impacted and say, I'm going to send them back to build a temple to God because when God's people start to pray, things happen in the world and in our lives. And you can always tell when there's going to be renewed lives because things shift from how can I feel satisfied in my life and how can we be satisfied in this world to, Lord, I just want you. I just want what you have for me. Lord, I just want your word. I don't know if this would resonate with you, but as we've been meeting as leaders, elders, pastors, I would say I actually sense that in our church in this season. Have you sensed the difference when we come to worship and, and, and pray? We see hundreds coming in the middle of the week to say, I want to pray. We see people said, we've never read the Bible as a family together, but for 40 days, we read the Bible as a family together. And here's what God did in our midst we see people saying, I've never fasted before, but, but I tried it and I learned something. We're seeing rumblings of people excited about the right things. And when I say that, we're not excited about what would be earthly exciting to say, hey, we've got this big new fancy thing. It's like, no, we're excited about people are wanting to pray. People are wanting to read the Bible. People are wanting to become disciples, not just fill up a church building. I would say I've been, I've been humbled over the last number of weeks and months in a good way that God is restoring and reforming his church. 
But it comes back to the principle, God desires to renew his church. If we would listen to his spirit, he'll do it to, he'll, he'll have it as we read the words of Jeremiah, Ezra, and Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah all began to pray. Daniel began to pray, and look what happened. So let's get into our second thought, is because renewal, <clears throat> renewed lives, it focuses on restoration more than innovation. If you want to be renewed, it's not about how can I recreate myself? How can I find something new? It's about restoring what has always been true. And, and I talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to unpack it in full here. When God wants to renew our lives, my life, he's going to recenter me on the thing that is eternal, on the thing that has always been. There isn't a new discovery that God has for me that goes, oh, finally, I get it. It's, he's going to bring me back to go, oh, Finally, I get it. <laughs> and I'm not talking about, hey, we need to do things in old ways. Some people would say, if we could just get back to the way we did worship and religion in the 1980s, that's what I like. Or in the 1990s or the 1950s. I don't know how old. I, I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to put an age on anyone, okay? <laughs> but, but you're looking maybe in that conversation to say, I have a particular style that resonates with me. Forget it. <laughs> it's not about style. It is about are we recentered on God's word, his truth, his spirit, taking all of our lives and laying it down for him. That's what restoration looks like. We're, we don't need a new song. Uh, we don't need a new way to do church. We need him and his spirit alone. The formats may change. For It doesn't matter. Is it centered on him? I'm talking about the purpose of why we worship, the purpose of why we gather needs to be the important thing. This is about God. This is not about us. And it has very little to do with, do I feel good in church, or is this the way that I would like to practice my religion? Those things are inconsequential about renewed lives. It is about reconnecting ourselves to be centered on God and God alone and the truth that governs all of life, being centered on him and his spirit. Now, this story is about rebuilding the temple. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, I need to give you context. So the temple, specifically the inner sanctuary where the Holy of Holies was in this temple building, was where God said, I will bring my spirit. And it was protected by a veil. And the only one that could go in there was the priest to be able to once a year offer sacrifices on behalf of the nation to, to reestablish right relationship between God and his people. This is where connection to God corporately happened. So to be disconnected from the temple meant they were disconnected from God himself. So there was a brokenness there. Their lives were not feeling, their lives are feeling empty at some level. So look what Ezra and the leaders do. Ezra 2, 68, let's put it on, and you would have read this this week if you were doing your daily devotional reading. When they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. They didn't come back and say, you know what, we want to move this over to where we think it would be better. They said, Lord, where did you establish worship? What was the pattern of worship that you established? We want to go back to that. It is not about our great ideas and what we can do. It is about you and what you've called us to. And not only did they go to the place, they went to the practice. Let's put Ezra 3 and 6. Again, I think we read this this week. Fifteen days before the festival of shelters began, the priests 
had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. Even before they started to rebuild the temple, they began to worship in the way that God had designed them. And if you're not, uh, if you're not again, familiar with all of these uh, festivals and what the temple was, you're going to miss some nuance here. So let me unpack it. Has anyone heard of the Feast of Shelters? Like you, you've read it, but you go, I couldn't necessarily tell you what, what, what that is. So, so the Feast of Shelters was a remembrance for the people when God brought them out of Egypt. And they went and they worshiped in the wilderness. They were going to the mountain where God was going to give them the law, where Moses was going to meet with God's spirit. And they were going to have the law for this is truth. This is how you're to live your lives. The, the foundations of, of how life was to be centered for God's people. They had a festival first called the Festival of Shelters being prepared to receive the law. So that's what the Festival of Shelters was. And they celebrated it year after year. Fast forward to the New Testament. As Jesus dies and he resurrects and he's going and he ascends to heaven, the feast, the festival that was being celebrated right when the Holy Spirit was to come to the apostles, guess what? Feast of Shelters. The same time God was preparing them, I'm going to give you my spirit and you're going to worship me in a new way. God wanted to renew his people, so he had them worship with the Feast of Shelters, remembering that, hey, it's not what you do. I delivered you. I told you what truth was. I told you what is right and wrong. When we look back on it and now, it is me who gives you the spirit and you only have closeness with me because of the spirit. This is not about how can I recreate my life. This is about me going, oh my goodness, God, you delivered me, you provided for me, you direct me. God, this is all about you. God, help me recenter on you. Why are you in church today? You didn't have to answer that out loud, so it's good. Did you come because it's a habit? Did you come because um, you're Christian? It's a good label to have, and that's why you're here in church today. Did you come because somebody dragged you? Who's here because they got dragged here? No, I'm just <laughs> I see that hand. Thank you. <laughs> somebody high-five that person. That was great. <laughs> Why are you in church today? I'm in church because I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple. I, I, want to, I want to have everything about my life refined by him. And if he says it, I believe it, and I will follow it. And if he says I should, then I endeavor to do. And he says I shouldn't, I endeavor to not. And I recognize that when I misstep, I will be corrected. And then, Lord, I will be forgiven, and I will walk in that. I, I, I come to church to, to pray with each other, to be refined to each other, to celebrate with each other, to cry with each other. I am a follower of Jesus. I am not a labeled Christian. And there is something, even if you're here today and you really don't know why you're here <laughs> or you couldn't answer that question and now you're thinking about it, there is something within us that goes, there's something different when I realign to what, I don't know what was happening during that music time, but man, I felt something. I don't know what these people were doing around praying, but it seems, like, it seems like something real and genuine is happening. Because when we reconnect with our creator who sustains us and provides us and leads us and guides us, there is something so life-giving that we would say, I am thriving. I am living a renewed life that you will never get 
outside of recentering on God. And this study over the next four weeks is going to be a chance to renew ourselves by recentering, not on something new, new pra- about the most ancient of practices. Lord, you are central to my life. Our last thought is that what do we celebrate? Well, we celebrate renewed lives, not temporary structures, not, not something that we can build. There's something really unique in this story is that the temple that Ezra and Zerubbabel build is actually not that great of a temple compared to what it used to be, the temple that Solomon built. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. This is in a reading this week. So when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, so they're on the same spot, they're trying to do it in the right way, the priests put on their robes and they took their places to blow their trumpets, the Levites... The ones that lead worship were they're descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as the King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all people shall have a great shout praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. And there were a group of people that were so excited because they saw God is going to restore us and there were going to be renewed lives and his blessing was going to be there. And then there were, let's keep reading. (laughs) Many of the older priests, so the leaders, bring sacrifices to Levites, the worshipers, and other leaders who had seen the first temple, they wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. Others, however, were shouting for joy. They were weeping because it was never going to be like it was. It was never going to be Solomon's temple. The exterior was going to be smaller. There wasn't going to be the gold. It wasn't going to be the the shining jewel that people would come and see. Wow, look at the temple of God in Israel. Building was not going to be that nice. In fact, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. The joyful shouting and mingling wept together in a loud noise that could be heard in the distance. There were a group of people there that went, the only thing I can see is this is not how it looked like when God was at the center of Israel's life. So they wept. They couldn't see past their memory. They couldn't see past what they thought it should be. They couldn't catch what God was doing in the hearts of that generation because all they could see was their memory. You know who could? Ezra could. Why could Ezra see it? Because he recentered himself on God. He did not look, he didn't look what the temple would look like. He was centered on God. Nehemiah could. He said, turn your hearts. God will call you. He will restore you. Daniel could. Zerubbabel could. Can you? I don't know why you're here in church today. I don't know what you expect when you come to church. I don't know what measure you put on to say, well, I know God is moving and I know God is real because of what is your list? I hope you're not weeping. because it doesn't look or sound the way you want it to be. I hope you are going, God is speaking to hearts. God is calling people to prayer and to fast and to read and to recenter and to be a disciple. I expect, and what I have seen in the last number of weeks and months, that God is calling our hearts into a place of reliance on him like never before. And we are 
calling each other to this place and we're saying, Lord, if it be your word, then I will believe it and I will trust it. And if it's what you called me to, I will walk in that way. And he's calling us to the times we say, Father, forgive us for the ways that we compromise rather than walk the way of disciple. Father, forgive us for the times that I try to renew myself rather than centering myself on you and your word. Lord, forgive myself. Forgive me for being reliant on me rather than being reliant on you, wanting to be liked rather than wanting to be faithful. You know this temple that Ezra and Zerubbabel were building? This would be the temple where Jesus taught. Now Herod put some more gold on it. He made it a little bigger. That's This temple that people were weeping over was where Jesus would teach, where Jesus would debate with the religious leaders. And he would prophesy, you see that inner sanctum, that holy of holies with a veil? I'm going to rip that thing down. I'm going to destroy this temple. And I'm going to rebuild it in a new way in three days. So you don't have to worry about any building and any format of worship. He was going to fulfill the prophecy that he spoke. Who did he speak this with? He spoke with a woman at the well one day, a Samaritan woman. And they were having one of the greatest spiritual conversations that was ever had. We put that up on the screen in John 4. So she asks him, and, and she, she's not in a state maybe to, debate, to, to be debating with Jesus at this time. But she goes, why is it that you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place to worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Remember, she's in a real rough spot if you know this story. Read it later. Jesus says, believe me, dear woman, a time is coming where it will not matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about what you worship. We Jews know about it for salvation comes through the Jews. But a time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, he even says. When worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, with our hearts over to him, and in truth, allowing his truth to examine every part of our heart and say, Lord, I will be a disciple. I will worship you in fullness. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. The Father is not looking for those who will attend a church service. The Father is looking for those who will say, I am a disciple. I am following you. I am laying down my life. God is spirit, so those who worship him, you must worship in spirit and in truth. So here's the invitation. God desires to renew your life. beyond what you carry today. I don't, I don't care what you walked in here with, what, what you're participating with online. These people were in another country feeling forgotten by God, feeling left alone and destitute. God des- desires to restore them. And he did it in a way where he turned the hearts of Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah and others. And he's not calling you to something new. He's calling you back to something original in your design that if you would reconnect you would know and the call is not just simply believe the call is would you follow what does it look like to be a follower it means you lay down everything of who you are you want to come to Jesus you lay down your hurts you lay down your fears you lay down your angers you lay down your failures you lay down your dreams you lay down your successes you lay down your hopes and you say Jesus I'm following you regardless what it costs me regardless where I go Lord I'm following you that's what a renewed life looks like 
and he's going to take some stuff out. He's going to add some stuff in. But that's what a renewed life looks like. And if you want a renewed life, it begins by saying, Lord, I will follow you. I am your disciple.